Today's gospel is from the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The beginning of good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Jordanian countryside and all of the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to strap down, stoop down and tie, untie his thong on his sandal. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. You may be seated. It is fascinating to me that Mark does not include a tipping of the hat to Jesus's birth narrative. Have you noticed that in his telling of this scripture as he starts up? There's no genealogy, there's no stable, there's no manger, there's no Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. There are no shepherds, there are no angels that are singing in the heavens, there are no wise men that come to visit Mark simply starts with the words, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, that phrase for Mark is packed with meaning, designed to draw we, the readers, in, sort of like that once upon a time kind of statement at the beginning of many a fairy tale. But it's even better than that. It's better than just the idea of once upon a time. For in the phrase, the word beginning is this very thing that is not finished yet. In the beginning is not just the first sentence of what he is saying. It is not even the completion of the book that he is writing. It is this statement that goes all the way through time to arrive where we are, to include us. I have told the story a hundred times at least, and so my guess is that you've heard it just be patient with me. I'll probably tell it for a thousand more times across my life. But I remember the day that I was leading preschool chapel and I had told the story 
of the week, which happened to be Jesus's triumphal entry to Jerusalem and that little band of followers who were with him and who heralded his coming into town with waving palm branches. You know the story very well. But as I was on my knees and down at eye level with the preschoolers as they fouled out of the room, one child came to me and he said, I dreamed that story last night. I said, what? He said, yes, he said, I this was a four-year-old child. He said, I dreamed that story last night. And he said, and best of all, I was in the parade. That's incredible to me, incredible. But he felt included when he thought about scripture, when he thought about Jesus, he felt included in what was going on. Mark is this proclaimer of beginning that includes all of us. In addition, he talks about the good news of Jesus Christ. This victory, it is sort of to be this we won, which a few people were saying yesterday afternoon in the stadium over at Georgia Southern, we won. Even more than that, there's a depth to this concept of good news that we miss. A number of years back, when I was in the fifth grade, I was attending school over in Metter, just a short distance away. And it was such an embarrassment to me. I had done something that the teacher deeply disapproved of. And at the end of class, this was in a different day, a different era, at the end of class, she called me and my accomplice up to the front of the class and got her paddle off the wall where it was hanging every day. And she swatted us both on the rear end. It was not only a little bit painful, it was a complete embarrassment to me. And I remember that when my mother came to pick me up at the end of school, that I got into the back seat of the car and I began to sob. She said, Bill, what's wrong? I could not tell her what was wrong because I was so upset. I cried all the way home. And finally, I was able at home to explain to her what I had done. It was my confessional booth. And she listened to my story and she said, it's going to be all right. And she could tell that I still did not feel right about what had occurred, neither what I had done or what the teacher had done. And she said, we can go visit the teacher. And I thought, this is not good. She said, you can apologize to her. And so that very afternoon, she drove me to the teacher's house. And I can still remember knocking on the door and she came and stood there in front of me, having no idea why I was there. 
And I spoke as best as I could an apology to that teacher. And she said, I accept your apology and I appreciate you coming to visit. I, I felt freed by that, frankly, to tell you the truth. Have you ever had that kind of freedom in your life before? To be forgiven by somebody of something that you've done wrong? It is absolutely one of the best freeing moments that life has to offer. I thought nothing else of it. At the end of school that year, we were going through those little recognitions that always happen, even in elementary school. And I was called to the front and I thought, what is this? And on that stage, I was presented by that teacher as a representation of the faculty of that school. I was presented a Good Citizenship Award. Now, I have no idea where that award is. I bet it's packed away in an attic box somewhere. But I can tell you, I will forever. Did I tell you that I had received the Good Citizenship Award in the fifth grade? I want you to remember that. It was important to me that that had happened. As Mark tells this story about how it all got started, he quotes the Isaiah prophet, that great prophet 700 years before Jesus was even born who was preaching his heart out in the wilderness who said, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. These were not Isaiah's words. These were God's words through Isaiah. And he was speaking to his culture that so needed to hear a word of hope, a word of peace. I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. And no one knew back then how well this would fit the description of Jesus' cousin, John the Baptizer. People loved to hear John preach, but they had to travel way, way out into the country in order to hear him. John lived this very simple, austere life depending completely on God to provide. Sleeping out under the stars, wearing clothes that were made of camel's hair. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the itch factor with that? Eating locusts. Can you imagine the chase factor? with trying to catch a locust. I can't even imagine eating a locust, but trying to chase one of those things down and eating wild honey. Have you ever asked yourself what wild honey is? What's the difference between tame honey and wild honey? I can tell you, with wild honey, there is a sting factor involved because he was getting it from the hive. People came out to listen to John and in their hearts, their intention was to follow God. 
John stood in the Jordan River and baptized. Even today, people go to that river to remember God's love and his call upon their lives. You can bet that several buses have unloaded their crew at that place in order that they would receive a remembrance of that baptism that they so cherish and that it's going on even as I speak to you. Baptism is a holy mystery, isn't it? John Wesley well knew this. For those that who seemed to downplay its significance, who called it a sign, he said, oh no, he said, of certain baptism is a sign, but it is also a means in and of itself of God's grace to be at work within our lives. It is not something that we do. And this is where we get it so wrong. Baptism is not something we do. It is something that God does for us and within us. Some people get baptized and they think they're done. Have you ever met anyone like that? <laughs> that their whole goal is to be baptized. You'd never see any evidence after they have been baptized. But as far as they've been concerned, they have checked that off their list. And it is important to be baptized. But baptism is about remembering and about participating and allowing God to change life. I love that story of Luther, Martin Luther, that Protestant reformer who every morning it is fabled that he would splash his bathwater into his face and he would speak to himself, Martin, remember your baptism. John the baptizer proclaimed a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Most people just put all that stuff together. But I want you to realize that there are two parts to this very important thing. Repentance doesn't come first. Forgiveness does. God's forgiveness. For that is what will mark our lives. We don't persuade God to love us, to be merciful to us. To forgive us there is no way to persuade God to do this this is a part of who God is it is his very nature to forgive us this is the profound thing that has such presence within those who have felt that that it changes their life forever. 
Baptism is about being embraced by God. The waters of God that wash us clean and leave us soaking wet with God, with the very presence of God within our lives to direct us from that day on. I tell you what comes second then and running a very close second is repentance. Because once you have encountered that full and freeing forgiveness, what can you do but want to change your way of living, change your way of thinking, do what is different than what you have been doing? What comes second is repentance. And if this doesn't happen, baptism isn't worth a thing. Not a thing. So Mark says that this is where we really ought to start the story. Even taking issue, I suppose, with Matthew and Luke, who used Mark as an informer for the way in which they wrote their telling of the story. Mark says that this is where we ought to start the story with St. John the Baptizer the one who pointed with all his might to Jesus, the one who said, I'm not worthy even to stoop down like a servant and untie his sandals, and I think the implication is, and to wash his feet. I'm not worthy to do that. And I have baptized you with water but I tell you, the one toward whom I point, <laughs> he will baptize you with Holy Spirit. I want that baptism. Don't you? Don't you?